What, what's so fascinating is to see the hands of the angels moving things along because we know that God is in control of all things. It's his will and purpose that is being carried out. So even though the leaders of the world might want to go in a particular direction, if that's not in accord with God's will, then they will be pushed by the angels behind the scenes to make the right moves. And that, that's what's so fascinating to see, the hand of God working behind the scenes. And we know that God is dividing the world into two camps, one camp in favour of Israel and the other camp uh, opposed to Israel. And we know that God has chosen Israel and through his prophets, he has explained who is going to be in which camp. Now, we know how insignificant Israel is. If the blue represents the land area of the whole world, then that little tiny dot represents the size of Israel. And we know that God has placed Israel in a very strategic location. It's at the meeting point between Eurasia and Africa on that little tiny link of land that's where God has chosen to place his nation so that in the kingdom age, nations can come, pilgrimages can take place from Eurasia, from Africa by land, and pilgrims will be able to come from America and from Australia by sea. And God has deliberately placed Israel there and placed the nations in their position in relation to his purpose with Israel. Now, when we look at what is going on in the world, as I say, we see this division into the two camps. We've seen in recent months how Israel has made peace with local Arab countries and more are expected to join quite shortly. And that extends across to Algeria and Morocco and countries like India and Little Bhutan that's made a peace agreement with Israel, uh, Britain, of course, and off the map, Canada, America, Australia, New Zealand, are all countries which are friendly to Israel. Now, in opposition are those countries who despise Israel uh, and oppose what Israel stands for, a Jewish state for Jewish people. And foremost, of course, is Iran and Turkey. But sadly, we know that Europe and Russia, we know from Daniel and from Revelation chapter 16 and 17, that this is the beast and the false prophet and the dragon power which will be foremost in coming against Israel um, in the latter days. And those days are fast approaching. Uh, also, we know that Libya is going to be on the side of those opposed to Israel. So what we've been seeing in the past few months has been the division of the nations into those that are for Israel and those that are against Israel. So what I want us to start looking at is how God has been working through Britain. Now Boris Johnson has his plans for this country, but he's had to change them several times. His critics argue that, you know, he, he keeps on changing his mind. Well, to be fair, it's because the angels have been pushing him to go the right way, not the way that he necessarily wants to go. And so we are seeing that Britain is going on a pathway which is diametrically opposed to that of the EU. And Britain is very friendly with Israel, again, as opposed to the EU, which is anti-Israel. We knew that when Britain joined the EU that 
she would have to come out at some time, but Britain's place wasn't in Europe, it was outside Europe, opposed to Europe. We realise in hindsight that Britain had a role to play because the time for the beast system of Europe hadn't yet come and Britain acted as the break, as it were, that prevented the EU from racing ahead. Now that time has now come for the United States of Europe to be set up and Britain to be separate. Uh, and so we're seeing a, a division of the ways. And so we see this acrimonious divorce between Britain and the EU. It's not been a smooth journey. Now the two main passages which guide us as to uh, where we are on this journey and what we're looking for is Ezekiel 38 and verse 13, having described all those nations which are against Israel, who are going to invade Israel, it then lists those nations which are friendly to Israel. And it's just a brief list of Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all the young lions thereof. And these clearly are opposed to Gog invading Israel. They're not part of that invasion. They are friends of Israel and seeking to defend Israel. Now, Sheba and Dedan, we link with the Arabian Peninsula, the grandsons of um, Abraham and descendants of Ham, Shem, um, spread into this region. Uh, and so we see this as being the region, and that's excitingly the region that is throwing up these peace accords. The merchants of Tarshish in the days of Isaiah Ezekiel were the nation of Tyre, who had trading links to Britain, to the Tarshish power of Britain, bringing tin and other metals back to the Middle East. But it was made clear in uh, Isaiah chapter 23 that things were going to change and that the footsteps of Tyre were going to be moved and Alexander the Great was going to end the power of Tyre and it was going to emigrate, as it were, ending up in the Elizabethan times in Great Britain. And so we see Britain as the young lion and, uh, or sorry, as the old lion, as the old lion, and with her are many young lions, and we see the Commonwealth countries represented in those young lions. Countries which have stood by Britain in two world wars, are friendly with Israel, and will be opposed to any invasion of Israel. So the other main passage is Isaiah 23, and it's probably just worth opening uh, your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 23. The opening verse tells us that it's a burden of Tyre. As I say, Tyre in the days of Isaiah was the main maritime power, and there was trouble coming. It's going to be laid waste, we're told, in verse 1. And then in verse 6, we're told that she should pass over to Tarshish, howl ye inhabitants of the isle. Is this your joyous city, whose antiquity is of ancient days? Her own feet shall carry her afar off to sojourn. Now, as I say, Tyre of old came to an end in the time of Alexander the Great. In 332 BC, he invaded Tyre and destroyed the city. And in moving on and conquering Egypt, he built the city of Alexandria. And Alexandria became the mercantile centre for roughly the next thousand years. Until in about uh, 800s AD that Venice took up the role of being the main merchandise power. And that lasted, these dates are just approximately, but approximately 100 years when Genoa, just the other side of Italy, 
uh, took over the lead of being the main maritime power and that lasted again another hundred years before the Spanish came along with the Spanish Armada and for uh, another hundred years they bore rule but the Spanish Armada was broken and the Dutch took up the role in the 1500s and in parallel with that um, in Elizabethan times about in, AD 1600s, um, Britain assumed the Tyrian role of being the main maritime power and has remained such uh, to this day. Now we know that uh, Britain's power has weakened over time and this is what the rest of Isaiah is all about. Having told us that its feet were going to go afar off, which we have seen, uh, it was carried westward. Then the latter part, the latter part of the chapter of Isaiah 42 in verses 15 and 16 says that it shall come to pass in that day that Tyre shall be forgotten 70 years according to the days of one king. At the end of 70 years, Tyre shall sing as an harlot. And it shall come to pass at the end of 70 years that the Lord will visit Tyre and she shall turn to her hire and she shall commit fornication with all the kingdoms of the world upon the face of the earth. And her merchandise shall be holiness to Yahweh. It shall not be treasured nor laid up, but shall be for them that dwell before Yahweh to eat sufficiently and for durable clothing. That's a clear indication that this is a latter-day prophecy. This didn't happen in the time of uh, Tyre and its past existence, but this latter-day Tyre power, after a period of decline for 70 years, is going to revive in order that the Lord Jesus, having come back to the earth, having destroyed the Gogian power, will be able to use the power of the latter-day Tyre to help him in the work of building the temple, bringing the Jews back to the land. So although Johnson has these wonderful plans for the future of Britain as a maritime power, God is guiding these things because he wants to use Britain for this role. Now we know that two world wars severely curtailed the power and the influence of Britain. At the end of World War II, Britain was a victorious but a broken country and entered into a period of decline, so much so that uh, in 1973 she decided that the only way to survive was to join the EU, or the EEU as it was then. And now we have come to an end of a, a 70 year period. Now it's not easy to put a date as to when that period of decline, the 70 years, should be dated from. And so in a wonderful way, the Lord God has given us an easier way to work that out, because he has this phrase, at the end of 70, uh, shall be forgotten 70 years, according to the days of one king, and at the end of 70 years, she'll sing as an harlot. That's an incredible sign, according to the uh, days of one king or one ruler. To be a ruler for 70 years is a very rare thing. And today, the Queen is in her 70th year. She is the world's longest ruling monarch. So just at a time when Britain is reviving, the Queen is coming to uh, her 70th year. And so we know that we are at the end of the 70 years when the Queen has completed this current year. If we go and look at the chart, she was born in 1926. She and Philip went to Canada and America because her father was so ill. 
uh, and she became queen a few months later in February 52, was crowned the following year and went on a Commonwealth tour. So the very earliest you could legitimately start a 70 year period would be from that Canada tour, which would take us to October of this year. Otherwise, if we take it from the beginning of her rule, then that takes us to February of next year. And so I foresee that the rest of this year is going to be a very acrimonious time for Britain's relationship with the EU. I think what we've seen is just the beginning of troubles. And it won't be until either October 21 or February of 2022, God willing, if the Queen is still alive, and God's mercy she will be, that Britain then finally will be free of Europe and the ties that she is still seeking to ensnare her with. Now I want to emphasise this fact that the Lord Jesus can come back at any time. We haven't got to wait until Britain is totally clear. We haven't got to wait till the end of the 70 years because I believe that there's going to be about a 10 year period from the return of the Lord Jesus and the resurrection and the judgment. And then the uh, Elijah work in Israel and the work among the Arab nations to educate them in preparation for the kingdom. But all the final pieces of the jigsaw will drop into place. So rest assured, brothers and sisters, our master really is at the door. Now, in December, uh, the end of the year, Boris Johnson signed the uh, Trade and Cooperation Agreement. Now, what you see signing is a, a mere sheet of paper. The full agreement is 1,246 pages, and they very evidently haven't got that in front of them. But uh, the UK recalled Parliament and the Houses of Lords, and uh, the, they passed the agreement as far as Britain was concerned, and the Queen gave her consent in the very early hours of the 31st of December. And so it passed into the law in this country. Now, on the part of the EU, it was provisionally agreed at this signing on the 30th of December. But because it had to be all 1,246 pages translated into the 24 official languages of the EU, they were given until the end of February uh, in order to ratify it. Well, that date passed and uh, a new date has been set for the 30th of April. And so um, just going to their own website, uh, that it's, uh, for, it's been provisionally applied and the rules and regulations will apply until it's fully ratified, which is now being moved on to the 30th of April. And what it says is that the European Parliament will also have to give consent to the agreement. And as a last step on the EU side, the Council must adopt the decision on the conclusion of the agreement. So everything hinges on the EU giving their consent. All the 27 members have to uh, unanimously agree to this for the deal to actually be carried. Now, if they don't agree, then there is no deal and it reverts to World Trade Organization rules. Now, just last um, Friday, David Frost, and this was the headline, warning shot to EU future of trade deal hangs in the balance. And just today was an article in the Daily Express talking about uh, an MEP threatening to veto the UK trade deal as revenge for the vaccine now. So a leading MEP is 
issued a thinly veiled warning that the European Parliament could veto the Brexit trade detail, deal in the bizarre escalation of the cross-channel row over vaccines. And they went on to say this um, Frenchman, Carl Kind, chairman of the Fisheries Committee, um, suggested that number 10 suggestion that the Oxford Zeneca vaccine was funded by the UK taxpayers was provocative and uh, it could uh, upset the MEPs and he reminded them that the EU Parliament has yet to ratify the trade agreement. 705 members of the European Parliament are still to make up their mind before the end of April. And so watch this space. It could well be that the trade agreement, which uh, seemed so good at the beginning, which has turned out to be a disaster, might yet get torn up. So I want us to look now at how God is using COVID um, to further his purpose. And a year ago, when lockdown was imposed, who could have seen all the ramifications that uh, COVID would bring and uh, the complete disruption of normal life. And that has included ecclesial life. I, I believe this has been our biggest test as a community since World War II. And I wonder just how many ecclesias are going to emerge stronger from this experience and just how many ecclesias will close. It's been quite a test, hasn't it, for us? And um, we've been able to see how the success that the Britain has in rolling out the vaccine has uh, riled the EU, who's made such a mess of their vaccine rolling out. And the EU economy is being very badly hit COVID cases are rising very rapidly and that's affecting their economy and will affect it long term, whereas Britain is, seems to be far less affected having successfully rolled out the vaccine. And so we're seeing how the angels have been using COVID to drive this wedge between UK and EU. And at the same time, it strengthened the UK's bonds to Israel. They've been uh, using Israeli skills in the vaccine rollout, uh, as well as in many other fields. But COVID, bizarrely, has increased European anti-Semitism. It's hard to believe, but anti-Semitism has grown in the EU, and Israel is being blamed for that rise in anti-Semitism, and somehow linked to COVID. Don't ask me the mind of the Europeans. But this is an article in the Times last Thursday, how the EU's method of going about things is causing great problems, that the hesitancy and mismanagement we have witnessed in recent weeks could have serious long-term implications Britain's relations with Europe after Brexit and of course that's what we expect and we cheer that on. But this was very interesting. What it says is according to senior government sources Boris Johnson was open on a pragmatic basis to greater alignment with EU rules in order to ease trade and to minimise the greater and greater than expected cost of Brexit to British food and retail industry. So he was prepared to go and uh, soften his approach to the EU. But after the vaccine debacle, that has changed. And the Prime Minister now wants to avoid Europe's attitude to risk. Why, given the events of the last two months, will Britain want to align herself with the EU's culture of risk aversion. But embedded in this article was a very frightening statistic. It said that if you vaccinate 100,000 people aged over 50 today rather than tomorrow, you'll have 15 fewer deaths. 
Now, in the EU, there are over, well, about 150 million over 50s. So applying that statistic, a delay of one day in vaccination for 150 million people would result in an extra 22,000 deaths each day of delay. Now, we're not talking about one day or two days delay. Um, on March the 27th, the UK had vaccinated 57% of her adults and the EU 13%. It's going to take months. So if it took two months, a two-month delay would lead to 1.3 million deaths that could have been averted if the EU were as far advanced as Britain is with the rollout of her vaccine. And that is going to have serious repercussions upon the economy of the EU. And on Saturday, wasn't it, 27th, the editorial in the Telegraph, the EU has been exposed as a sham. And it said it was the first great test of what Brexit Britain could achieve, vaccination rollout, and it has been a triumph, as opposed to the shambolic EU's vaccination. And it's not just the vaccination now, it's whether we look at fishing, whether we look at Northern Ireland, whether we look at exports to the EU, whether we look at financial services. In every step, the EU is making life as hard as it can for Britain. It is clear that she is intent on punishing the UK for Brexit. And so one can see a growing rift. And so as this uh, article Sunday week ago, if the EU continues to act like a hostile state, we should treat it as one. When a neighbour threatens you with wartime measures, you can hardly carry on treating it as an ally. The EU's behaviour over the past year was, must prompt a reappraisal of our geopolitical goals. And notice this, we are thus both pushed and pulled toward a closer relationship with Commonwealth and Anglosphere countries, while individual European states might still be considered as allies, the EU as a whole has chosen instead to be a rival. We need to face the fact that the EU is now closer to, say, Russia than it is to Canada. Brussels does not regard us as a neighbour whose economic success will enrich his, its own peoples, but as a renegade province whose wings need clipping. Our response must be to soar higher. And then in the same day, but in another article, um, as the dust settles on Britain's departures, two things are abundantly clear. One is that the trade and cooperation agreement is an extremely poor deal. The second is that relations are further soured and urgently need to be repaired. Better solutions to the Irish border need to be found. It's unworkable and reignite sectarian divides. And this was uh, yesterday. The lesson is clear. The EU doesn't work. If Britain is to succeed outside the Union, there's no point in doing things the EU way. Divergence is the way forward. This goes far beyond the procurement and distribution of vaccines. And we can see that step by step, pushed and pulled, this is the hand of the angels behind the scene. Britain is being moved away from Europe. In spite of what Johnson intended to do, that wasn't the right way. He's having to be pushed. And interestingly, this is affecting uh, the relationship between the United States and the EU. Because uh, the American uh, vaccine developer Novavax have developed a new vaccine which uh, has very good rating. Uh, Britain uh, did a deal back in August of last year and is due to have 60 million doses in the very near future. But 
what has alarmed this uh, American firm is this firm decides that it doesn't want to deal with the EU. It's seen how AstraZeneca has been dealt with and dragged over the coals and uh, police raids. And so it's decided it doesn't want to do a deal with the EU. And uh, they're putting off doing a deal. And again, today was the announcement, just to rub it in to Brussels, that Britain has now made an agreement um, with uh, this company that the 60 million doses are going to be actually bottled in the UK so they can easily fly the vaccine over to Britain and the more difficult work of putting it into bottles and distributing it will take place here. So the EU has lost out. It could have had its own supplies, but because of all their legalese and uh, pen pushing, uh, this firm has decided it's not worth it. Now, at their EU summit meeting last Thursday, uh, they agreed that they would ban exports of vaccines, which would make it difficult for Britain to continue her rollout. But there was enough sane voices that persuaded them not to do so immediately. So hopefully Britain will continue to get her supplies until these new doses come in from America. And so Johnson is on a charm offensive to uh, try and keep the supplies still rolling. And what he is discussing, he's been discussing with Northern Ireland, the idea of sharing vaccines with the Irish Republic. Now, this is rather fascinating because the EU has used the uh, division between North and South of Ireland as a means of cutting Northern Ireland off from Britain. Britain is now reversing that process as it were and is using the vaccine as a means of bringing the Republic back to the UK. And interestingly, the living standards in the South are much lower than those in the North, in Northern Ireland. On paper, the Irish Republic seems fairly successful, but that's only because it's a tax haven for big firms like Amazon and that kind of thing. The reality is quite different, as this article a week ago uh, puts it, that the living standards are closer to 20% higher in Northern Ireland. This result is staggering. It means that after 60 years as a tax haven and 48 years inside the EU, the Republic of Ireland has not managed to raise the living standards to that of the Northern Ireland. And if the Republic were to rejoin the UK, it would be as the UK's poorest region, just as it was a century ago. So the majority of Irish citizens have gained little from being a member of the EU. And of course, because of the effect of COVID, that is causing British investors to turn away from the EU where financial results are poor and turn to America and to Japan to invest their money. So again, you know, we see angelic hands at work. And I've just put up this little verse from Daniel chapter 10, which gives us an insight as to how the angels work behind the scenes. This is an incident where the king of Persia, presumably Cyrus, had to be persuaded to go along a certain pathway. Maybe it was to uh, cause the Jews to go back home. But it took the combined efforts of uh, Michael and Gabriel working for three weeks behind the scenes before they finally achieved their effect that so many things had happened to make Cyrus, if it was Cyrus, the king of Persia, to change his mind and go the pathway that God intended. And so we have to picture, brothers and sisters, how busy the angels have been in the past few months.
all the EU's rage and jealousy is going to collapse upon her own head. Now these words we know from Luke 21, the Mount Olivet prophecy. We know in the main this was a prophecy concerning AD 70 and the vast majority of the chapter was fulfilled then, but we know that there is a secondary application and this is what we're seeing at the moment. Um, we understand the symbology, the sun, moon and stars are the political and religious powers that are being shaken. Some countries will get taken over uh, and the sea and the waves represent the, the peoples and they're stormy and roaring. And this distress of nations. And Luke has this little word with perplexity. Now, that word as a noun is, this is the only place where it is used. And Vine tells us that literally it means at a loss uh, for a why. It's used outside the Bible with the same meaning to be at one's wit's end, to be at a loss of how to proceed without resources. And I think that sums up the EU. It just doesn't know which way to go as opposed to the sure-footedness of Britain. But there's another little phrase which Matthew uses, it's only in Matthew, all these are the beginnings of sorrows. And that word for sorrows is the word birth pains. So just as a mother is uh, about to bring forth a child, she has these contractions and they get stronger and stronger and more and more frequently as the uh, hour of her deliverance uh, appears. So I believe what we have seen in the past 12 months is just the beginnings. God is going to ramp up his judgment step by step. It's going to get increasingly worse. And brothers and sisters, how thankful we are that in the mercy of God, we will be called away to the judgment seat while the worst of the judgments of God are being poured out upon the bewildered world. So let's look at global Britain. Uh, just uh, last week, she is benefiting from the peace accords. The UAE and the UK have signed a £1 billion deal to invest in British life sciences. She wants Britain's help with vaccines and medicines and all sorts of things that Britain can offer to the UAE. And of course, the great thing about the Abraham Accords is that countries don't have to worry about what other countries are going to think. What is what the Arabs going to think about this? What is Israel going to think about it? The, the picture has changed so radically. But what was uh, unveiled a couple of weeks ago was a strategy plan that they've been working on for uh, about a year. Global Britain and Competitive Age, Integrated Review of Security, Defence, Development and Foreign Policy, which focuses Britain's uh, future away from Europe and concentrates it on the Middle and the Far East and invests a lot of money, 24 billion pounds in defence and that's mainly to be spent on the Navy. The base in Oman is to be tripled in size and the new aircraft carrier Queen Elizabeth is to go on her first deployment to the Far East and to run exercises with the Commonwealth countries out in the Far East and to go as a show of force against China who is seeking to take control of the shipping lanes over in the Far East. And Johnson, when he was presenting this to Parliament a fortnight ago, said the overall purpose of this review was to make the United Kingdom stronger, safer and more prosperous. The view describes how we will bolster our alliances, strengthen our capabilities find new ways of reaching solutions and relearn the art of competing against states with opposing values. 
will be more dynamic abroad. And this is he pointing out, you know, Britain is a maritime trading nation. Uh, in 2019, 690 billion pounds of trade came from exports. Um, a third of our GDP and made Britain the fifth biggest exporter in the world. But interestingly, uh, between five and six million Britons live permanently overseas in the Gulf and in Asia and Australia-Asia region. And so a crisis, he said, in any of those regions or in the trade routes connecting them will be a crisis for us from the very beginning. So again, this picture was on helping our friends uh, and Britons uh, around the world, but especially those over in the Far East. Now, earlier in the month, because uh, a lot of these uh, points have been leaked as to what this review was about, this uh, magazine, The Diplomat, said that the UK to head east of Suez power projection or search for trade. Well, in actual fact, it is both. But there was an interesting little paragraph there that um, the carrier strike group is a bold statement of intent. Oh, sorry, I haven't highlighted it. Uh, is a bold statement of intent for a national defense policy that is tilting back toward the Indo-Pacific region after concentrating on NATO responsibilities in the North Atlantic. So you see that there's now this change, no need to support NATO. Uh, we're now going to look to the Far East. The deployment marks the Royal Navy's return in force to an east of the Suez Canal power. So Britain has six bases in the region in Bahrain, in Qatar, in Oman, in Cyprus, in Kenya, and the little island of Diego Garcia. So out of her 16 overseas bases, uh, over a third of them are based in this region, which is quite remarkable and ties in with what we've been expecting from scripture. But I just want to look at two of the bases, just very, very briefly, Bahrain, uh, is in the Persian Gulf on the opposite shore there is Iran. This is where the ships, the tankers carrying the world's oil go up and down. And it is here that Britain has a base. And this is the headquarters of a defense force, the International Maritime Security Construct, where by ships from Britain, Australia, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, UAE and US uh, are based in order to patrol up and down, protecting the oil tankers from the Iranian forces. And Britain has been the leading force. Um, she supplies more ships for that than anybody else. But just round the corner, as it were, in Amman, uh, circled on the, the Linset map there, is this Nukma, uh, Newport, still under construction, still, it's nearly finished, but still building work taking place. Uh, both Britain and America have permanent bases here. India has use of these facilities. Um, and it's big enough to hold both the new aircraft carriers, uh, one of which is scheduled to be stationed here um, as she guards the region. Now, Last September, the decision was taken to triple the size of the base there um, and just uh, enlarging that up. So they're spending 24 million pounds to triple the size and then another 20 million on top of that by 2028. Um, the investment in Duhma is will be viewed by defence analysts as a strong indicator of the UK's intention to stay militarily engaged in the Middle East. And this is from there that she intends to project her naval power throughout the whole region to protect her interests in the Middle East and in the Far East.
Now it's interesting when we just pull up a map of the Commonwealth countries, um, America became independent in 1776 before this map and I believe is one of the main young lions, but these Commonwealth countries are the young lions of today. And when one sees just how many of them are in this particular region that Britain is now going to defend, it's quite remarkable and the links to the Commonwealth and the opportunities to build the Commonwealth ties, as this article said last week. Given the rise of hostile actors in the world, now is the time for Britain to shore up relations with Australia, Canada and New Zealand. And we're going to hear a lot more about this phrase, Kanzak. It's a uh, shorthand for Canada, Australia, New Zealand and the United Kingdom. These foremost young lions with their old mother. And although they are poles apart on the map, in today's world, modern trade is little hampered by distance. And uh, Britain has agreements with all these countries, but Liz Truss is about to announce a multi-million uh, trade deal to enhance that which was made in December of last year with Canada, which will deepen the relationships and bring about um, free trade trading between Canada and Britain. And it is expected that Australia and New Zealand will follow suit very shortly. So our historic understanding of Britain and the young lines has stood the test of time. Uh, and now just at this critical time, it's all springing to life. It is so exciting, brothers and sisters, to see it. And at the same time, and this is a very brief little section, we're seeing this rift between the EU and America. This is a front cover of The Economist going back three years in 2018 when Trump was about to come and lambast the NATO powers of Europe for not paying their dues to NATO. And if you look very carefully at the face on the split, you'll see what a clever cartoon it is. Well, things have uh, got worse. It was thought under Biden things would improve, but uh, even the arrival of a pro-European UN administration can't paper over the unmistakable signs of transatlantic trouble. And uh, Biden's growing frustration with Europe yanks Britain out of the doghouse. Uh, officials are said to be deeply disappointed with their uh, affinity of Europe to China. So things are not good there. And one of the things that both Trump and uh, Biden have sought to stop is this uh, new pipeline from Russia to Germany. The first pipeline was, uh, it's a twin pipeline, was opened in 2011, 2012. And this new pipeline from a, a different starting point in Russia, but ending in the same place, uh, was built last year but came to a halt in December time when America put sanctions on the ships that were laying the pipes and they had to withdraw because they were under threat of losing all their US assets. And so Russia has had to convert one of her ships to continue the work. And Biden is determined to stop that work. Um, what he is saying is we don't need it. There's another pipeline which is totally underutilized, which runs from Russia to Europe via Ukraine. But there's the rub. Russia is trying to weaken and break the power of Ukraine. She wants to take over and she will be part of the Eastern foot of Nebuchadnezzar's image. So she will succeed. And so Putin has no interest in pumping gas through a pipeline and having to pay transit fees to prop up Ukraine. He'd much rather build a new pipeline and let Ukraine suffer. So interesting 
times there and we see how the angels are using all sorts of means to bring about these great changes so let's look at the middle east we know that israel uh, last week just had her elections and the outcome as always with israeli elections is uncertain and uh, one has to form a coalition so though netanyahu has the most seats he hasn't got a clear coming together of parties to form a coalition and we have to wait and see what happens but i thought this was interesting from the times of israel that whoever the prime minister is uk israel ties will become stronger and it is amazing and we're not really going to deal with it but the the ties between britain and israel grow stronger and stronger every month quite in contrast to that of the eu whose ties to israel um, grow further apart this was uh, an article a fortnight ago why europe will remain uh, hostile to israel the persistent clash of interests between the european union and the israeli government likely to endure for the foreseeable future now of course europe is guided by the roman church uh, who has been opposed to the state of israel right from the days of Herzl, because the state of Israel runs counter to the claim that the church, Roman church, is uh, the inheritor of the promises made to uh, Abraham. And to have Israel coming back to their promised land um, is something which uh, upsets them and they do not like. And they, at every turn, try to uh, break the power of Israel and that's why they side with the Palestinians and Europe likewise follows that leadership and sides with the Palestinians against Israel and uh, regards Israel as having no rights to that land uh, the Jews are God killers if Jesus was a part of the Trinity in their eyes uh, and therefore has no hope in God's eyes and so we can see this um, division that Europe opposes what Israel stands for. We know at the moment that she is under threat of being investigated by the International Criminal Court, which of course is heavily backed by Europe uh, and opposed by Britain and America and Israel. Um, and so we can see this clash, which is driving um, Israel and uh, Europe apart in preparation for Europe to come and invade Israel. Uh, and the other thing is they hate the fact that it's a Jewish state for Jews. It's In their eyes, it's an anachronism. Given the radical secularization of Europe, the average European ascribing to a postmodern world cannot comprehend a people defined by a religion other than Islam surviving in the hostile environs of the Middle East. But of course, it's nothing to do with them. It's what God desires. On the other hand, Britain strongly defends. And this, um, about a fortnight ago, Dominic Raab was being interviewed and at this meeting with the leaders of Israeli organizations in this country uh, stressed his desire to uphold the positive nature of the UK relationship with Israel and that he would ensure that Israel was not stigmatized by multilateral institutions. And I think they were talking about this international uh, court, criminal court. UK, of course, is cooperating with Israel on joint Navy and Air Force training. Israel is prospering from the income from her gas fields. Uh, Tamar has been supplying gas since 2013. Leviathan came on stream at the end of 2019. More wells are being drilled. Um, British firm has taken over from Delac, who was one of the main leaders in the early drilling, now 
Britain is involved in Karesh and they're hoping to bring supplies to land at the end of this year and Tannin end of next year. And so income from gas revenues is uh, rising and that gives Israel a very good standard of living. She is ranked by the IMF as uh, number 19 in the world. France is at number 20, UK at 21 and Japan at 22. So her standard of living is better than the UK's. And she is one of the world's longest living countries. Um, so ranked number 12 for length of life, quality of life. So this British firm is investing even more money because now the situation has changed in the Middle East. She's not afraid to drill in Israel, doesn't upset the Arabs. And she's putting a lot of money uh, investing in these things. So I'm just rapidly wrapping things up. Uh, again, she's signed, Israel signed an agreement with Cyprus and Crete and Greece to build an electric cable under the seabed to link these countries. And that will enable electricity to flow to Cyprus, which at the moment has to depend on the oil fired generators for electricity. But because of the difference in time zones will enable electricity to flow backwards and forwards between these countries, evening out the uh, peaks um, and making life better and easier and cheaper for these countries. And, you know, there is a long term goal in anchoring Israel's importance for Europe and the Middle East, as well as making peace accords. She is now making uh, these deals with other Middle East countries uh, and with the EU. Now we know it's all going to come to an end, all going to be broken when Joe thinks an evil thought. But again, um, Israel is fighting, this is today's, uh, Israel is fighting a two-front war, strengthening cooperation with Greece and Cyprus in energy, tourism and security comes at the expense of Jurgen's uh, Turkey. It also means that Israel's position in the region is enhanced as it serves as a security and technology bridge between the Gulf Sunni states and Greece, making it an indispensable ally to both sides. So we see uh, the great things there. Well, I wasn't going to say much about the um, uh, Abraham Accords, not because I don't think they are up among the great milestones like 1948 and 1967, this taking of Jerusalem, they are. But because uh, I've talked about them a lot recently at the Prophecy Day and last Saturday at the Kent Prophecy Day, and you can listen to those talks on the Christadelphian video uh, site. So uh, I'm going to skip, and if I can just remember, to do that to my last but one slide. So brothers and sisters, we've seen in a remarkable way how all these many forces, COVID, Brexit, Middle East peace, anarchy, EU integration, UK world tides, the, these have all been used by the angels to redirect the pathway of Britain, Israel, Middle East, America, in order to form this block of friends for Israel and at the same time forming the block that will be against Israel. So these things are all in God's hands and they're designed to make us sit up and be aware and to look at our lives and to say, am I ready? The Lord is at hand. And we will not be able to say to the master, well, you didn't tell us you were going to come. He has told us abundantly he is at the door. So just my final slide, my usual one, that milestones is my yearly review. And then every three months, uh, the Bible magazine has a milestones update. And that went off uh, a week ago uh, for the latest edition. And then day by day or every other day, 
snippets goes out, which are my collection of interesting happenings. Um, and if you want to sign up to those, just send me an email at don at milestonesuk.org and that will keep you up to date. So thank you. I'm sorry it, as always, I keep on adding slides and adding slides. It goes on longer and longer, but I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you.